Welcome to the Checkmates Go podcast. Join your favorite Checkpoint expert, Phone Boy, and his guests as they cover a range of cybersecurity topics to help you secure your everything. Be sure to subscribe and share, and don't forget to rate and review us. And now, here's Phone Boy. And welcome to Season 3, Episode 19. This is part two of my conversation with Adam Gray from Novacoast. We talk about the challenges of securing end-user PCs and recovering from security issues on end-user PCs, and of course, the various issues around remote access. It's funny because these days I find that the most useful information comes from the closest source that you can find, right? So for us, when I look at how do you build a, um, you know, a good offering in a SOC, the first thing you have to think about is what am I worried about my my user base that I'm supporting? Um, what am I worried about for them? What am I worried that they're going to do? And, and in general, when you look at uh, organizations and CISOs these days, they're mostly worried about users clicking on bad stuff um, they're worried about bad files getting downloaded and executed in their environment, and they're worried about ultimately um, data destruction and data theft. Right? Those are the things that they're ultimately worried about. Yeah, and and so then you have to build in the the appropriate best practices, and and yeah, just because you have the tools doesn't mean you you don't employ the best practices, right? So it's best practices and tools to to minimize the risk that any of those uh, things, because they could because ha- whether whether you have the controls or not, it could still happen anyway. So uh, okay, well then, how do you handle it? Yeah, and, and and in my world, that comes down to people, right? You have to have sufficiently trained and a large number of them. You got to have enough people to look at the data and determine what's happening. So, you know, for us, it's, you got to collect the right data, first of all. So things like, um, you know, software inventory is important, but, but what's even more important is software inventory over time, because a snapshot of your software inventory is not all that useful. A full detailed history of everything you've installed ever as you go along is very useful. Um, so we had, we've had some supply chain attacks over the last, uh, um, little bit and, yeah, and those sure. supply chain attacks have been, you know, pretty ugly. I, I, if I, if I think about sort of early versions of that, um, that model, that world, uh, we essentially had a part-time couple of people running open SSL years ago. And, and when Heartbleed came out, that was considered, you know, groundbreaking, super ugly. Everyone's got to rotate their certs um, and don't know how long, you know, exactly this thing's been present for, but we got a lot of work to do, right? At least was uh, around for a number of versions. Um, that was a huge watershed moment for, for you know, um, for us to look at um, automation and, and, and spending more time in, in CI, CD processes and other things. And it's been good for us. But at the same time, it taught us that, um, that you have to have good capabilities about what you're running, when you were running it, and for how long. And so when we started building out this stuff, we moved to a model of tracking all of that stuff so that when things like SolarWinds uh, Orion came out or when the exchange problems came out, we could very quickly query the entire base of software inventory and say, were they ever running SolarWinds 
at this time on these dates between point A and point B with these versions and know exactly who to pinpoint and who to call and which MSPs to pick up the phone and say, hey, you were running a bad version at this time. You need to go deal with this. Yeah. And and it may very well be that it, in some of those cases that nothing actually happened, but it's better to have that almost be a false positive than to say and to not have any visibility of it. And then all of a sudden, you know, some, some period of time later, you you've been owned because like with uh you know i know with solar winds it's it was it, it was it took months before this was even known to be months. an issue right yeah yeah and, months yeah and then you know at the end of 2020 uh which was already kind of a challenging year for everybody we went surprise uh you may have had this problem for several months right and so sometimes a false positive is um you know not a bad thing right it's it's it, it gives you some awareness to say hey where are we you know are we doing doing the right things. And even with, with something like a solar winds, there's probably a lot of things you could have done in terms of how you've set it up to minimize the risk that, okay, if there is a, there is a problem, right. That is, that the risks inherent because solar winds was breached becomes minimal because if, you know, for example, if solar winds is probing all of your, you know, all of your infrastructure with say read only credentials or, you know, something that didn't have a, um, you know, a, a, have a, a level of access that's going to minimize the, the, the risk that something bad happened. Now that doesn't mean that you're you're completely pr- completely protected, but it but it's it, again it's tools and best practices that help you to say okay this is you know that we're that if something bad does happen that you've minimized the the impact of that. Yeah, and thankfully with you know with that particular one, um, there were there were good strategies to determine the affected and the compromised, et cetera, we still took the the opinion that if you were running the vulnerable version for any period of time during the window that was vulnerable to um, to do a complete rebuild of those systems that were that were affected and to change all the credentials that were part of those um, those tooling. Yeah. And that's, and that's, you know, if you have some kind of incursion like that, I think that is the most appropriate thing because, you know, you know, and I remember going back to the, you know, the early days of of viruses on computers at a certain point, you realize that you can't trust the base that which you're on after a certain point. And that, and that the only way to be sure is to, to, uh, to borrow a phrase, nuke it from orbit, right? It's the only way to be sure. Yeah, the the nuke and repave strategy. Yeah, um, and which I don't think is a bad strategy till still today. When when I think about kind of what we see in general, um, our our data suggests that the efficacy rates of AV tools is roughly thirty percent. So you're going to catch three in in ten uh, problems out there. I don't really care which AV you use, which which EDR, how good you think it is. Um, you got to sit on a lot of data to be able to prove out how good or how bad somebody is. I'd say in, in our view um, and, and the number of files that we collect every 15 minutes that we're able to pretty effectively look at what the world knows and pretty effectively look at what all the AVs can find. And one of the things that we spend a lot of time doing is saying, listen, if your tool that is there for protection found something and we know that the general efficacy rates are not great, you need to go investigate and look at what else was happening on that box at that time. And if you can't be certain about all the stuff that's there, 
that's a really good opportunity to uh, exercise a rebuild. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny. I'll bring cloud into this for a second. We, you know, we talk about the, um, the pets versus cattle uh, discussion comes up a lot, right? And so yep. um, the nice thing about the cloud, is, you know, especially when you start building infrastructure there, is you know, you're doing it in a programmatic fashion. And so th- that, yeah, well, you, yeah, I hope you are, right? Because if you're not, then you're not leveraging the full power. You're not power really leveraging. Yeah, yeah, you're not doing it right. Yeah. yeah. So, but the nice thing about that is, yeah, it, a nuke and rebuild is, re- you know, basically, yeah, nuke and rebuild, and it takes five minutes right it's not it's not uh, yep. you know if i have to rebuild my personal desktop that's a whole different story right it's you know it's going to take uh, you can get it down to you know a few hours maybe if you if you you know if you've got a small number of applications and so on but you know it, it's still you, you know that sometimes that's the that's the approach is yeah you have to you have to nuke and rebuild and and yeah and and what's your downtime as a result of doing that because that's the other thing is you know anytime you're anytime you're uh, you're taking that strategy it's there's always the risk that uh, you forgot something and, and, you're, and you're gonna you're gonna make your life harder so this actually I think it's a good opportunity to, to also test your other IT processes do you know what your golden image is supposed to be or how can you or how quickly can you get back to a golden image um, yeah are yeah. are your applications set up in a way that they can be rebuilt from scratch you know you know I'd say are, even on are they packaged list. and deployable on the fly I mean all those things go into play for a good incident response and a good recovery strategy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I think this, so it's not just that, yeah, we, you know, we, we, yeah, we, we want to prevent this. We want to prevent bad things from happening. We want to detect bad things, you know, have happened as quickly as possible and then recover from it and, and, and do it in, in, in the, in the most, um, uh, what's, what's, you know, as quickly as possible. Right. And so it's, yeah, you gotta be efficient with it. Yeah. You, you can't, you know, you can't do it just automatically, I guess in the cloud, right. If something bad happens, yeah, it's easy to nuke it from orbit because you can rebuild it in five minutes and and then there's no, and there's almost no harm in that where, where you're taking about an, talking about an end user system. Yeah. It's a little more complicated than that. And, you know, to, it's, but I guess you can see why that's uh, why we're starting to, uh, you know, maybe look at like almost like a Chromebook sort of uh, an experience for some of the end users, because, yeah, rebuilding becomes really easy when it's just, a, OK, you're just downloading the, the, you know, the current image and it's got all the applications I need on it. And, you know, yeah, or or, you know, cloud based uh, uh, virtual desktops are also becoming more prevalent because of that as well. Yeah. And so I, these are. Yeah. And so, yeah, the the again. The risk of something, you know, the risk of something bad being in there is uh, is min- is minimized quite a bit because yeah, if you're if you're restarting your environment every day, right, as a result of, uh, you know, you're rebuilding yourself from scratch, right? It's yeah, you get the all, all of a sudden, yeah, you, you you get a fresh clean image every day, and so how long can something hang around if you're if you're refreshing it from scratch every day? Now there's some challenges with that, of course, but I think it's uh, you know th- there is yeah, but yeah. this is something that uh, you know th- there's a reason organizations are. Looking Looking at this, and is it the be- you know, is it the best approach for every user? I don't know, but uh, um, this is one of those tools you got to have in the tool belt, I think. And it's, so it's you know, it it you don't really think of it as a security thing, but it really is. 
Yeah. So, so, you know, to be effective in this stuff, we find that you have to have the right collection strategy. So we talked a little bit about asset information and inventory information and browser extensions, but, but in that same vein, you also have to collect, um, you know, if you want to find phishing or you want to find um, malware on devices, you can't just look at what's running in the environment to effectively determine that you actually got to have to go out and hash every file on the file system and scrape the entire URL cache of every end device and then store all that somewhere centrally and then process it all with threat intel. So, you know, the 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 background for us on that has been has been really, really clear. You have to have exceptionally good threat intel. You have to have all of that data come in to look at it to say, is it good or bad? Um, you know, is it benign? Is it malicious, et cetera? And then you have to have an appropriate kind of staff review that data and, and verify it and say, yes, this is actionable. It needs to be removed and it needs to be dealt with. And if you don't have that infrastructure, that's that's why we built what we built. And yeah, and I'd I'd say even in the largest organizations, probably not everybody has that that same infrastructure, right? It's 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 a, no, uh, you know. And I've and you know back in the day, I I I I, uh, I would do these uh, architecture reviews with customers, and 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 I talked with customers of all sh- shapes and sizes, and, and and yeah, even within customers of relatively the same size. You find that they have very different priorities, and they might not be looking for different things, or them. Yeah, you know, and also their, th- their their threats are, you know, what's what's important to them is a is different, right? One set of customers, the you know the data, you know it, you know individual pieces of data might not be that interesting because it's public anyway, right? But if it, if you know an aggregate, it might be you know that might be the sign of a of a huge uh, you know of a data leak, and that's not great either, right? And it's, yeah, so every organization approaches it differently, but. Um, I'd say that, uh, with, you know, everybody's also a target too, because yeah, we're all, you know, we're all connected so much more and we're, you know, we're relying on systems that we, that, uh, maybe we're not designed to be, uh, you know, exposed to the internet, but, uh, you know, now they kind of have to be because, uh, because of the current circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the work from home has been, you know, in my view, has been sort of a disaster because of the amount of, you know, fraud and and new, um, you know, IR cases. Um, our, our IR volume just on the incident response side has gone through the roof in the last year. I mean, we've been dealing with so many new cases every single day. Um, there isn't an hour in the day that goes by that we're not dealing with a new IR incident. Yeah. And, and I, and I talked with our guys, I, I interviewed them on the podcast from time to time. And, yeah. And, yeah. And they, and yeah, and it, it's, it, it's, it's funny because yeah, the number of cases have gone up. They've incre- you know, we've increased our staff of course to, to account for that. But, uh, yep. but likewise it's, um, you know, it, it ends up being some of the same issues that have, that have been there for a while. Right. And they, and they just, they kind of just keep coming up. It's, you know, the, um, you know, with, with remote access, I know I saw this in the community when, when, when the, you know, when, when everybody started having to work from home and, you know, March of 2020, I could immediately see in our, in our community, people were asking about remote access. Now, you know, we've been doing remote access for a long time. I mean, you know, you know, going back to the days of checkpoint secure remote, you know, going and, and all of the, and there was a lot of interest in it and people were going, how do I, I need to enable more people to have access and I need to do it now. How do I do this? Right. And, and, and I, I'm, 
pretty sure that some customers made some mistakes in enabling that. They they erred on the side of opening the doors wide versus let's make sure we're doing this the right way, you know, that, that we're taking all the right steps and securing, you know, that we're only giving people access to what they need and not and not more than that, right? And so, yeah. um, you know, the, and the, so people exposed RDP to the internet and people exposed exchange servers directly to the internet that probably weren't patched and, and you know, and on and on and on. And, and so all of a sudden now, and then of course you have all these endpoints at home that may not have adequate protection and, 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 you know, and have more access than they need. And you, you know, that's just a bad combination. You got both of those things. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it is, it's incredibly ugly to look at, um, a, a organization and look at the, um, the open ports and the open services directly connected to the internet. Um, I, I feel like, um, you know, organizations are, are starting to really take this seriously around, you know, the secure access edges and, and some of the SASE models and, and those are good things. Um, but, but they're not happening in, in smaller organizations and people are still, I still see people with RDP directly connected to the internet getting just bombarded day and night with, with authentication requests. And, and we have to have conversations with, Hey, this is a really bad idea. You got to get this stuff off the internet. You can't have RDP just directly connected to the internet. You can't have your exchange servers, you know, and not just exchange, you can't even have the web access directly connected to the internet anymore. Like that's even not safe. Yeah, exactly. And it's, and that's, you know, talking with our incident response folks. Yeah. It's those, those things have been problems for a while and they're still probably, because again, you keep there's, you still keep finding problems. Right. And, and so, um, having something in front of it or, you know, having some other way to get to that, I think is, is important. And yeah, the good news is, is that there's now, you now have more ways than ever, I think, to access that, that stuff and to do it in a, in a, in a safe and secure way and, uh, and minimize the, the, you know, you're minimizing the attack surface, right? By, by, by leverage, by, you know, when you put your, uh, you put your RDP or your, um, your, your Outlook web access directly on the internet. Yeah. You're, you're, you're exposing it to everything. But if you, if you've got something in the middle of it to, to mediate that access and do some additional checks and, and so on, then yeah, your risks go way down. It's now it's not zero of course, but, uh, but, uh, but hopefully that, that security, piece is easier to, you know, that we have this you know, security service is easier to make sure it's secure versus Outlook web access and RDP, which has many, uh, you know, has many different ways to, uh, uh, to be compromised potentially. Yeah. Yeah. In general, the, uh, the, the less that is connected to the internet and the closer we get to, uh, 1986 or seven, I think, uh, in some ways the better, I, you know, I know that that's not a popular, uh, sentiment to say, Hey, you know, are we sure that this community needs internet access or not? But at the same time, you know, strict controls over both ingress and egress are super important for, for organizations to abide by, um, whenever they can. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I remember when I first started, uh, in information security, the whole concept of defense in depth, right? It's, it's, you know, we, you know, I think initially there was, it was the idea, okay, do you build a perimeter or do you build, or do you build defense in depth? And I think it's become very clear that, um, you know, that, that we, that we should have always taken a defense in depth approach. But um, 
it's easier, right, to to have a perimeter. But I think it's it's easier to hide behind the moat and the wall. But but it's it's also it's also important that the moat and the wall exists. Yeah, and I think yeah, because people yeah, I, I've had I had this conversation with uh, somebody I used to work with uh, years ago, and 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 he said, you know, is the perimeter going away? I said yes and no, right? It's still there, right? You still have a perimeter. The perimeter is now, it's not necessarily where it used to be, right? You 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 might still have that corporate perimeter, but you've also got perimeters around individual devices and data, and in in services, right? And you know where you where you perform the access control, uh, you know, or the threat prevention or whichever have changed and has to change, right? The way I, the way I do that on a mobile device is different from the way I do it on a, on a desktop or laptop versus how I do it when my, uh, when I, when I'm accessing something in a, you know, in in a cloud, right. Or, you know, whether it be my desktop or, or an application or both. Well, and I'll I'll say something somewhat, um, you know, could be taken controversial, but I I think that it's still pretty accurate is kind of two ends of the spectrum here is that um, is that, you know, the the idea that that protecting things directly on a network today is sort of uh, or detecting even directly on the network. Um, is getting harder and worse and worse. I mean, it's not doing better. Um, TLS 1.3 is starting to be seen in the wild now and be used for encryption. And, and that doesn't have a good man in the middle capability anymore. You can't just crack it open and see what's inside. And and this idea that that you could simply watch a network packet now and decide whether it's good or bad is is really starting to fall by the wayside. And, and I see a lot of groups out there in the software vendor space specifically that have spent a ton of time on, hey, we're going to do all of this stuff on the network and we're going to do it using AI and we're going to capture all this data and tell you good from bad is sort of disingenuous. Because as more crypto becomes the, becomes you know prevalent, um, those things have to move to the endpoint to be effective. You have to have a better view of the endpoint. You still need to see what's going on on a network, but it's a whole lot better to know, um, hey, I can see before this thing was encrypted what happened than once it's encrypted and you only get source, destination, and port numbers, that's a whole lot less useful, especially from a threat intel perspective. Yeah, definitely we're starting to see that more and you know, the, you know Checkpoint has added capabilities to their products but to, to try yeah. and address some of those things. But the reality is, is that, um, yeah, the ability to actually see what's going on in, in the network is, uh, you know, it, you, you have less capability, not only because things are encrypted and getting better at, you know, at, at, uh, at, at uh, being resistant to a man in the middle, but because you also don't, because again, you're, you're, you're with home, home pe- people or, you know, people working from anywhere. Now you don't have that place in the middle of the network where you can go, yeah, you shouldn't be talking. Right. And, and to try and bring all of that to a central location to, to do that sort of, uh, you know, I, I don't know, checking or whatever you want, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think that I think that becomes an intractable problem just because the number of people that you have to do that for it's you know because when you know when you had I don't know ten employees that could that were working from home and you had to funnel their traffic to the to the corporate office for to, to before it went to the internet to make sure it, it met whatever requirements you had that's fine but when you're trying to do it for ten thousand or hundred thousand <laughs> you can't do that <laughs> yeah gets yeah. ugly um, and I think Checkpoint saw that as well I mean look they've they've invested in in Casby technology 
technologies. They've invested in, you know, cloud fronting technologies. They've invested in endpoint technologies and mobile technologies. So it's not an unknown thing for for them in that space. But but there are still a lot of point solutions out there that are like we work on the network and there's a lot of SOC solutions out there that are like, hey, our primary thing is to ingest logs from from network devices. And and whenever I see that, I look at it and I say, boy, think of all the things they're missing. Yeah, it's and and I would yeah because not only do you have to look at the network and the endpoint, right? You also have to look at the other side of that, which is going to be somewhere in the cloud, right? So having something in the cloud that tells you, okay, here's here's what I here's what I'm seeing, and and being able to tie all that together, and you know, and I think that's you know, and and yeah, I think Checkpoint's done a great job at uh, it, it try to tie that into as a cohesive story. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Checkmates Go. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app, leave us a rating and review, and share with your colleagues on social media. And we'll see you next time.